Yes, you can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. That front gets pressure, collapses the pocket, and wrecks quarterbacks. This is the Faithful Fanatic Podcast with Nick and Marco. The Faithful Fanatic Podcast is live. We're enjoying our victory Monday evening. Not to be the bearer of bad news, but after the Monday night football game, both, or the Cardinals rather, are 4-2. and two. The Rams are 4-2. and two. The Seahawks are still 5-0. and oh, So even after... All the great accomplishments of last night's game. The 49ers are still in the cellar of the NFC West. They're 3-3, three and three, but things look a lot brighter than they did last week. Reflecting on last night's game against the Rams, what was your greatest takeaway, would you say? My greatest takeaway was the fact that the team had juice. They weren't playing like they were a bunch of injured dudes. They were playing like they had something to prove. And it looked like the leadership was standing out. Guys like George Kittle, Jimmy Garoppolo stepped up a little bit. Um, Fred Warner on the other side. It, it appears that Jason Verrett is taking command of that secondary. So he looks a lot good. Of things, a lot of things look really good from a leadership standpoint. Yep. And last week on the pod, I said I was almost as interested as to how the team would come out, how their body language would look like what the leadership would look like more so than the actual final score of the game. And all things considered, grand scheme of things, you got to be happy with how this team answered getting clowned by the Miami Dolphins. You have to be very happy with that. What stood out to me most about this game, my greatest takeaway is I think the 49ers found their identity. At least for now, they found their identity. They're a team that needs to have that run-first mentality, just like they did last year. They need to get creative with the run. And when they're not running the ball with Raheem Mostert, you're doing short passes at or behind the line of scrimmage or barely in front of it to Debo Samuel, Brian Ayuk, George Kittle, get the ball to your playmakers and let them go to work. That's what this team's best chance of winning is, is that exact same game plan. And I thought Kyle Shanahan did a tremendous job preparing, game planning for this game. So you got to tip your cap to Kyle Shanahan. Absolutely. Kyle came out first drive, a perfect drive to start the game. Came out and forced the the Los Angeles Rams to play sideline to sideline. Forced that D-line to think before ever coming upfield. And that's what started the game. Because if you look at the rest of the game, that D-line, every motion, that D-line was thinking, damn, is, is Debo Samuel going to get it? Is Brandon Ayuk going to get it? So that was the smartest thing to do to get a legit defensive line like that who was tied for the the leading sacks going because that D-line looked discombobulated all night because they were afraid of the screens. They ran away. They ran a quick screen with George Kittle on the first drive. They were afraid of the, the sweeps, reverses. So it was a great game plan from Kyle Shanahan. I thought that first drive was phenomenal it was a six play drive where the big four i'm going to start calling them when they're all on the field together raheem mostert debo samuel brian Ayuk, and george kittle all got the ball 
And not only did they get the ball, it was like there was designed plays to get them involved early. And another thing I said the 49ers must do in this game one way or another is find a way to score first. And that's exactly what they did on the very first drive of the game. They marched right down the field and scored. And you can't really ask anything more than that out of an opening drive. The other positives is that you're getting your playmakers involved. You're getting Jimmy Garoppolo in a rhythm. And just the approach to this game by Kyle Shanahan was flawless. The areas to victory, the key areas to victory going into this game, I said the 49ers needed to be run heavy. They needed to get the ball out of Jimmy Garoppolo's hands quick, neutralize the Rams' pass rush, control the time of possession battle, and keep the Rams' offense on the sideline as much as possible. Keep your defense fresh, and every single one of those boxes was checked off. All around phenomenal stuff from Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala. Absolutely. My, my favorite part about the offense was the fact that we normally say get the ball in those guys' hands, but he made it an emphasis to get it in his best player's hands. Normally he calls a game plan, but doesn't necessarily have certain plays for certain guys. I loved how he got it in their hands early and often. But I do want to see him get Brandon Ayuk the ball a little bit more often. Because what happened was Brandon Ayuk, he, he's like Debo Samuel. He's going to pop off. And Debo Samuel is, is known for breaking a big play. The one of the first On the first drive, he popped off a big play. Um, so I want to see him use Brandon Ayuk a little bit more in the passing game rather than in the as a gadget player, like he's using Debo Samuel because Brandon Ayuk is more legit receiver than Debo Samuel. And I think this offense could be the go next level. If Brandon Ayuk takes that step as a receiver. Yep. I would agree with that assessment. Ayuk is the one player that I would like to see get more involved in the offense. I believe he only had two touches, two receptions yesterday, wasn't featured in the ground game. And I do agree with you that he should be featured similarly as to how Debo, Debo Samuel, excuse me, is featured, but also more so as a true receiver. And going back to the 49ers finding their identity, I don't think there's anything wrong with having these gadget players like Debo Samuel and even George Kittle's not used as a traditional tight end, get them involved in other ways that break their traditional positions. And the jet sweeps the Debo Samuel coming time and time again, even though you wouldn't necessarily think that as a passing play, it counts as a reception. Like I love getting him involved in that sort of way. And I would love to see Brandon Ayuk used in a similar fashion and used down the field more. Jimmy Garoppolo took a shot down the field right before halftime. I thought Ayuk could have drew that pass interference call. He didn't really sell it. The referee flinched. He had his, Hand on his hip, ready to throw out that flag. But definitely need to get Brandon Ayuk more involved. Kendrick Bourne was targeted a handful of times, had two receptions for over 40 yards, had a critical third down drop. I shouldn't say critical because it didn't cost the 49ers, and George Kittle had one as well. There's one area you'd like to see the offense improve. It's being a little more sure-handed uh, sure on those critical downs like third down. Yeah, like you said it. For me, those are critical downs. That's a critical drop because what it of could course. do is it could put the game away. So mm -hmm. for me, that's what I was like, come on, guys. Like, 
the the George Kittle drop was, was crucial, and so was a Kendrick Bourne because those are your two sure-handed receivers, and when they're dropping passes, it kind of kills your momentum. So I want I would like to see them get a little bit better on on third downs because there was a few big drops on third downs, but I want the fan base to pump the brakes on talking about Jimmy Garoppolo's stats because yeah, oh. go ahead. No, we'll get into Jimmy Garoppolo's stats because I'm with you that this game that Kyle Shanahan called catered to Jimmy Garoppolo. He was not asked to do much. So with that being said, you have to pump the brakes on his performance because I have his stats right now and I'll break them out because this seems like a great time. So throws that were less than 10 yards, throws less than 10 yards, less than 30 feet. He was 19 of 24 for 162 yards. Then you had throws between 10, 10, 10, 10 and 20 yards for 106 yards. He was four of six on throws 10 to 12 yards for 106 yards and then 20 yards or more down the field. He was 0 of 2. 223 yards were accumulated after the catch. 223 yards. There was fluctuating numbers as far as how many yards after the catch the 49ers receivers actually gained. I had it at 223. I was on pro football reference adding every single player's individual yard after catch total up. It amounted to 223. Jimmy Garoppolo threw for 268 yards. 268 yards. 223 of them were after the catch. So the game plan was clearly get your playmakers the ball quickly and let them do the rest. So yes, pump the brakes on Jimmy Garoppolo because he was not asked to do much. He delivered a strike to George Kittle on that fourth down from the Rams 44 yard line, somewhere in the Rams territory and just drilled it to George Kittle who ended up scoring a touchdown. So I'm with you. You got to pump the brakes a little bit on Garoppolo's performance. Yeah, and I believe most of his yards um, from the 10 and 10 and beyond, you said 10 to 15, correct? What was that? You said you said he had a, a 10 for 15, the 10 for 15 yards, he had 100 and something, 160. Between between 10 and 20 yards, he was 4 of 6 for 106 yards. Throws that were less than 10 yards, like right around the line of scrimmage, not even throwing it close to that 10 yard mark. He was 19 of 24 for a buck 62. So yeah, so the the 10 to 20 yards, most of those yards came from that George Kittle, that George Kittle touchdown. That was a that was a big play, a big chunk play. Yeah. So for me, when when I look at the stats, I was I seen a lot of people going, oh Jimmy Garoppolo, 262, three touchdowns. Like, well, the, a lot of those yards were little touch passes to Debo Samuel and guys like that, quick screens. Those are extended handoffs. And if you can't make those throws, you shouldn't be in the NFL. So those throws to me in that game plan was was good. I, I don't knock the game plan because you have to do what you have to do to win. And I like it because it's a confidence booster for Jimmy Garoppolo and yep. the offense. But at the end of the day, you can't sit here and say, throw stats at people. I, I need context. And for, for the fan base who, who loves Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, yes, it looked good. He was throwing some nice nice throws. But was he really carrying the team offensively by using his arm? Like, let's take a step back and 
analyze what he did. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all Jimmy Garoppolo. It was Kyle Shanahan and the Yak Bros. So let's not get it twisted, guys. Yeah, I agree with that. Garoppolo will certainly have to have his moments where he carries this team, but last night was not one of them. And it does not, his performance does not necessarily make me believe that we're going to see the Garoppolo we saw against the Saints in that comeback win down in New Orleans last year, that high scoring affair where George Kittle had the infamous yard yards after the catch on that run where he's getting pulled down by like four defenders. His face mask get his face mask is getting yanked. That was Pete Garoppolo. And just because he had a flashy stat line last night, but the deeper you dig into it, the more you can tell that Kyle Shanahan did not ask much from anybody watching the game that knows what they're talking about would say the same thing. It was the Yak Bros, like you're talking about, getting the ball out quickly, so quickly that Aaron Donald was a non-issue, and we'll jump in about the offensive line's great performance as well. But yes, pump the brakes on Jimmy Garoppolo. It was a solid first step as he gets ready to face more intense opponents. Got the Patriots coming up, and they have a solid defense. But the game plan was to run the ball, get the ball out of Garoppolo's hands quickly when it's thrown, and let your receivers and tight ends do the work. I thought Kyle Shanahan's commitment to the run game is a huge reason why the 49ers won. Raheem Mostert only averaged 3.8 yards per carry. That's extremely low for him. The team as a whole averaged 3.3 yards per carry throughout the entire game. That's not a good number, really. But just the fact that the 49ers didn't shy away from it, and yes, they were playing with the lead, so you want to hand the ball off more in that situation. And looking at the switch to go to Jermichael Hasty opposed to Jarek McKinnon was huge, was huge, because once you have that lead in the third quarter, Mostert goes down, you're giving the ball to McKinnon. McKinnon's struggling to pick up yards on the early down. So what does Shanahan do? He goes to the undrafted rookie from Baylor who starts picking up chunk yardage on first down to get the 49ers in second and third and manageables, just like Raheem Mostert does. I'll tell you right now, the first play Jermichael Hasty got the ball on a run play, I turned to my dad and said, he's going to be special. So Jermichael Hasty, there's, there's a trait that I love when running backs could, are capable of doing. When you could jump cut and keep your full and keep full speed, and take it another boost for another five, six yard. That's special. Those are things that like Alvin Kamara have, like certain guys like that. So when I look, he's gonna be he's gonna be really good in this Kyle Shanahan offense. And he might be a better fit for this offense than Jarek McKinnon right now, only because Jarek McKinnon no longer has that extreme burst and extreme athleticism that he once had due to that knee. Um but I do want to see Jermichael Hasty be involved in this offense a lot more. You could tell he's a dynamic player. He, he looks explosive. He made a lot of these Los Angeles Rams guys miss. So now when Raheem Mostert does come back, because he possibly going on the IR, we should have a good duo, a one-two punch in Mostert and Jermichael Hasty. But I do see Hasty carrying the load the rest of the three-week span. His role is certainly going to increase over the course of the coming weeks. Let's acknowledge the offensive line. It was their best performance of the season. They did not allow Jimmy Garoppolo to get sacked. Garoppolo was only hurt 
about it was only hits, not hurt. It was hit about two, three times over the course of the entire game. And they made big number 99 of the Los Angeles Rams, Aaron Donald, who was leading the FL in sacks. Exactly. Who's Aaron Donald? Aaron Donald, come on. Seven and a half sacks. Seven and a half sacks. And for those who don't know, Marco's taking a little jab because Aaron Donald at one of the Rams' press conferences said he did not know who Debo Samuel was when he was asked about him by a media member who asked a question regarding Debo Samuel. And Aaron Donald goes, who's that? Who? Who? So it became a thing on social media today that even Debo Samuel himself came at Aaron Donald and said something along the lines of, I'm sure you know who I am now after he scored a touchdown last night and just had that run to clinch out the game where another jet sweep came across on a third and seven, third and eight, somewhere in that ballpark and got the first down to seal the game for the 49ers opposed to having to punt the ball away if he doesn't pick up that yardage. He just put his heads down, he put his head down and just bullied the Rams for two, three yards. When he first got hit, he was still about two yards shy of the first down marker. And he just pushed them forward, had a nice little boost from Mike McGlinchey who came in at the end. So Debo Samuel clinched the game for the 49ers. But back to the offensive line, Mike McGlinchey is someone that I've been extremely hard on over the course of the year. And I always like to acknowledge that players that I've been hard on when they're doing well, I like to acknowledge those points. And Mike McGlinchey was phenomenal last night. His side of the line gave or contributed to more rushing yards than Trent Williams' side. I have the stats right here. When the ball was ran outside of Mike McGlinchey on that right side of the offensive line, the 49ers carried the ball 12 times for 63 yards. That's a 5.25 yards per carry rate. Looking at Trent Williams on his side, nine carries for 26 yards, only 2.9 yards per attempt. So Mike McGlinchey truly is one of the best run-blocking tackles in the game. Despite the struggles in pass protection, he's been doing a phenomenal job as a run-blocker. And I saw on Twitter today that he's right now rated the number one run-blocking tackle on Pro Football Focus. I was just about to say that. And it shows who Mike McGlinchey is. He's more of a run blocker. And, and as he develops, um, I believe he's going to continue to develop as he can works with eventually Joe Staley. So I think he's going to develop as a pass protector. But what I love to see from that offensive line it was the main thing was Daniel Brunskill. He gave Aaron Donald the work. Yeah, and, and it brought me back to last season when he played the Los Angeles Rams. It was his, I believe it was his first career start at guard. And he did very well against Daniel and against Aaron Donald. So it was one of those things where I was coming into this matchup and going, well, if he can handle Aaron Donald, this offensive line can handle Aaron Donald. I think this is the confidence booster that they needed because there was times where they put Aaron Donald on Mike McGlinchey, mm-hmm. Daniel Brunskill. They even put him on, on Justin School on that side with Justin School and Lakin Thomason when School came in. And they did a good job switching. That offensive line was the reason for success. Jimmy Garoppolo had a clean pocket most of the night when he did throw the ball downfield. But besides that, the run game and the the attitude they played with set the tone early. Normally, you see our defense set the tone. Our offensive line set the tone early in the game by running the ball very, very strong. 
Yeah, they came out and scored on the very first drive, and that really set the tone for the rest of the football game. They let the Rams know right off the bat that they were not going to go down easily and that the, it was the Rams with the backs up against the wall the entire game. Very rarely do they even have the football. The time of possession battle was 22 to 38. That's just an astonishing difference. The 49ers controlled the ball when you round up 38 minutes of a 60-minute football game. So the game plan was just phenomenal. And Kyle Shanahan's game plan was not the only phenomenal game plan. Let's give Robert Sala some credit for his bounce-back performance after he was completely embarrassed by Ryan Fitzpatrick, who looked like Dan Marino last Sunday. What did you think of the defense yesterday? So the defense played extremely well. Um, I do. I, I need to see pressure. There's no pressure um, created. There's no pressure from that defensive line. Um, there's no sacks. We had no sacks. Um, but what made Robert Sala's game plan easy is Jason Verrett is playing at an elite level right now. And when you have a, a corner in the secondary playing at an elite level, it makes your job a lot easier. And then when you add Emmanuel Mosley, who is a solid corner, he plays exceptionally well, except for that pass interference call that ended up being a touchdown he gave up. He had a solid performance. Um, so Robert Sala did he did good, but when you have your your guys in the back end back, so you had Tart, Ward, Mosley, and, and Verrett, all good players, you should have a good game plan. And I don't think his game plan was good enough because there was times where we had there was guys running wide open and Jared Goff just missed them. And Jared mm -hmm. Goff, if Jared Goff would have been on his game, they probably would have made the game a lot more competitive. There was a touchdown that, that he missed. That's a very a very good counterpoint. No, that's a very good counterpoint because I know a lot of people, myself included, gave Robert Sala a lot of credit for holding the Rams to 16 points. That's a huge accomplishment. The Rams have a very potent offense, a lot of flashy skill position players. But Jared Goff was bad last night. He completed only 19 of 38 pass attempts. His ball <laughs> placement was awful. He was missing a lot of receivers that were wide open. Like his throws were bad, very bad. And his touchdown passes, he had that one touchdown to Robert Woods where Jaquaski Tart was almost in perfect coverage and the ball was just thrown like an inch or two beyond his fingertips. It was a great ball by Jared Goff, his best ball of the night by far. And then you had the touchdown bomb to Josh Reynolds where he scored on Emmanuel Mosley. Emmanuel Mosley played very well aside from that one play, and it was a bad play because not only did he give up the touchdown reception, he was flagged for pass interference, and his ball skills just weren't there. It looked like he panicked knowing the ball was on its way to Reynolds, and that resulted in a touchdown. But outside of those two plays, it was a tremendous job by the 49ers defense, and they looked good. They gave up over five yards per carry, but the Rams only ran the ball 19 times because they were playing from behind the majority of the game. There was a key series. The drive that ended in the Jason Verrett interception on the fourth and goal from the two-yard line happened because Dre Greenlaw stopped the running back from scoring a touchdown. I forget which running back it was. It could have been Daryl Henderson. could have been Malcolm Brown. could have been Cam Akers. Whichever running back it was, Dre Greenlaw stopped them at the – 
pushed him out of bounds around the one, two yard line. The next play was the Cooper Cup incomplete pass where Cup dropped the ball, but Emmanuel Mosley had pretty solid coverage. And then fourth and two, Jason Verrett gets his interception, his first interception since 2016, and only his 10th appearance on a football field in a regular season football game since being a pro bowler in 2015. So Jason Verrett is all of a sudden solidifying this cornerback position that looked so grim last week. It was only a week ago that Brian Allen was getting torched, absolutely torched. And now you have a healthy Emmanuel Mosley, uh, Jason Verrett that's playing out of his mind right now. Looks like he's in 2015 Pro Bowl form. The cornerback position has done a full 180 in just the span of seven days. And we're not even talking about Mr. Richard Sherman, who may now be the third best corner on this team. Yeah, I, I think, I think no, I wouldn't say fourth. I, I would say third. Um, third outside corner. Outside corner, yeah. But um, the thing is with, with that, the defense is, you, you said it, they gave up too many rushing yards um, per attempt. And that's not going to bear well when you play teams who could run the ball. I mean, if the Rams would have started off running the ball early, they would have made this game a lot more interesting. If I were the Rams, even in the second half, I'm down. They were down 20, I believe, I believe it was 21 to um, 6. I would have kept running the ball. They were they were getting six yards a pop. They they came down and they had six six rushing attempts and scored a touchdown without throwing the ball. Why not oppose try to oppose your will at that point? So that's something yeah. that Robert Sala needs to, to figure out because there's cutback lanes. There's too many cutback lanes, and you, that's all eye discipline from the backside. The backside needs to be better. So Robert Sala, I mean, I think he'll fix it because those are fixable mistakes that. Chris Kaserik could could help fix on that D line, so the I'm not worried about the defense. Defense has played phenomenal all season, besides the Dolphins game. Um, my biggest concern is, is the pass rush. If we can't get to the quarterback once we start playing better, like Seattle, that Russell Wilson's going to pick us apart. You could have the the best secondary you want, but at some point you can't you can't cover dudes for three to four seconds. It just doesn't work yeah. that way. Doesn't work that way, and I did my week six studs and duds column for Sports Illustrated, and I kept everything positive. Because, you know, week five, I said, forget the studs and duds list. No one deserves individual acknowledgments for a positive performance when your team just got embarrassed by the Miami Dolphins. So I was harsh on the Niners, said, pointed out 100 duds. So this week, I kept everything positive. And I said, you know what? No one played poorly enough to be recognized as a dud when it was such a collective team win. And a couple comments I received were, what about the pass rush? Someone needs to acknowledge the pass rush and how they struggled last night getting to golf. And I can't argue that. It's such a valid point, and you nailed it, that this pass rush is still lacking the firepower that they had last year, and it's obvious as to what the reasoning is behind that. You don't have Nick Bosa. Who knows if D Ford will ever come back and play football again. There's too many question marks there, but you're 100% right. Jared Goff had a lot of time to throw last night, and if he was on his game, it's probably a completely different ball game. But he laid an egg. He was terrible. Jared Goff was really, really bad last night. And just like you touched on, if it's any other quarterback, if it's Russell Wilson, 
You got Cam Newton next week. You play Aaron Rodgers. You have Drew Brees. If there's no pass rush, these quarterbacks are going to have a field day because, like you said, you can have any cornerback you want. You could line up Daryl Revis, Richard Sherman in their primes. But if a quarterback has five, six seconds to throw, they're going to give up big plays. They're going to give up completions. It's inevitable. So the pass rush needs to step it up. And the one thing Robert Sala didn't do last night because he really didn't have to was utilize Fred Warner and Jimmy Ward on those blitzes up the middle like we've seen him do over the course of the last couple weeks. The only non-defensive lineman I saw really coming in on a blitz was Jamar Taylor blitzing from the slot, something that Kwan Williams would do quite frequently. So I think it was a conservative game plan by Robert Sala. And the fact that it was conservative didn't matter because Jared Goff was off. The 49ers did a good job keeping everything underneath, minimizing big plays except for that one Emmanuel Mosley bomb. So all things considered, you're happy with the defensive performance, but you're upset because the lack of the pass rush can have a huge effect on the defense moving forward when you're playing against better quarterbacks. Yeah, and what I, I don't remember seeing the, the defensive line do any stunts or anything. Um, I, you have to start stunting at some point. I mean, there, I know last season he would use Nick Bosa at the edge and he would loop around and come inside. Like, like where the center normally is. And he hasn't done that. Yeah, you don't have Nick Bosa, but you have to try that to see with try it with Armstead. Armstead's athletic enough to do that. Try it with Kevin Givens. Kevin Givens is athletic enough to do that. Um, so I want to see him do something on the defensive line that could create confusion from the from the opposing offensive line. Because at some point, you we can't we have to just stop saying, hey, there's no pass rush and figure something out. Because if you plan on competing to make the playoffs. You're going to get exposed in the playoffs if you don't have a pass rush. And it's it's been shown. So create what you have with the guys you have. Um, and I would like to see it's – I know everyone's going to be like, no, Deion Jordan's not good. I would like to see Deion Jordan get in there a little bit more on third down because he provides a speed that we don't have on the D-line and carry Hyder on the other side with Armstead inside. Move Armstead inside and let him go one-on-one with, with some guards because – he will definitely beat the beat the guards if he goes one on one with them. No, I absolutely agree with that. We have a comment here that says, "What does it take for us to call the season? Oh, for oh and four out of the next four games. What is your take on that? When do the 49ers finally call it quits? And the title of tonight's show is the 49ers are back, but are they back for now? or for real, meaning was last night's game against the Rams a false sense of hope, or is this team season back on track? What are your thoughts on that? Well, if they play the way they played last night, I see them going three and three and four um, against the next four opponents. I think they could beat the Patriots. Patriots didn't look too good last week, and they haven't really looked too good this season. Um, the Seahawks are obviously on fire. The Packers got blown out by the the Tampa Bay Bucks, and they don't look too. They don't look too good on their defense. Is terrible. Their defense is absolutely terrible. So if we could keep up with them and slow down Aaron Rodgers a tad bit, we should be fine. And then we have Drew Brees, who his arm strength is no longer there, and we could slow him down. But we also, if he gets going, can we keep up with his firepower? I believe so. We've shown it last year. So I don't think that. 
I'm going to call it quits yet by the performance they played. And I, they showed that they're, they're, comp- they're going to be a competitive team, even though they, don't, they didn't look like it the past few weeks. So for me to call it quits on this season, I'm going to have to see the, for the whole team start playing really bad because last week showed that, hey, no, 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 we have something to prove now because all this media talk from they were ranked top 10 in power rankings and then they dropped down to 25 or 22. This team has an, a chip on its shoulder, and, and I think that's what they need to play with. And I don't think the season's over. To answer this question for me, so again, the question is, what does it take for us to call it a season? Does the team have to lose its next four games? I think since there's only 10 games left, if the team ever falls below two games under 500, that's when you're probably turning the page. Maybe three games, but I'm going to keep it at two games. So if the team's ever two games under 500 from week seven on, that's going to be extremely tough to come back from and make the playoffs. Where I stand with this team after last night, it was a very reassuring performance. Very reassuring. Kyle Shanahan proved that he's the magician and the wizard that the 49er fan base thinks he is, that those in the media think he is. The play calling was phenomenal last night. Absolutely phenomenal. The concern I have, because the 49ers found their identity last night with running the ball with Raheem Mostert, getting the playmakers involved on short passes, letting them go to work after the catch, Raheem Mostert. Let's get into some injuries because this can alter this team's identity moving forward after it looked like they found it last night. Raheem Mostert has a high ankle sprain, the same injury Jimmy Garoppolo has been dealing with. He most likely will be placed on injured reserve. Raheem Mostert, to me, is this team's MVP on offense. He's the most valuable player on offense. The one silver lining that I'm holding on to is that if you go back and look at the numbers from the Rams game, and these are numbers I talked about earlier, Raheem Mostert only averaged 3.8 yards per carry. He was not getting those big explosive runs like we usually see from him. His longest run was 15 yards, and outside of that, he was picking up five, six yards, then he'd get stuffed a couple times. So the 3.7 3.8 yards per carry he was averaging last night can easily be replicated. Jamichael Hasty was averaging 4.1 yards per carry. He had the highest yards per carry total on the team. So I feel like as long as the 49ers stay committed to the ground game and understand that you're losing the big playability from Mostert, but still hand the ball off 25, 30 times per game, and they're averaging around four yards per carry, that's going to keep the chains moving. It's going to keep your defense off the field because you're sustaining long drives. So I don't feel as grim about losing Raheem Mostert as I once did because after seeing the 49ers have such success, even though they weren't having long explosive runs and them staying true and committed to the ground game was reassuring to me. So I like this team to move forward with Jamichael Hasty at running back. Let's talk about this because this is one of our topics coming up. How do you make up for losing Raheem Mostert for potentially three weeks? What should the game plan be? I'll jump on this and say, Jermichael Hasty should now be this team's lead back. 
Jarek McKinnon can't be your lead back. He's a good third down receiving threat out of the backfield. You can mix him in on second down every once in a while. But the biggest thing that stood out to me last night is that Jarek McKinnon can't get those tough yards on first down. When you hand the ball off to Jarek McKinnon on first down, it's usually going to result in a second and nine or a second and 11. When you give the ball to Raheem Mostert or Jamichael Hasty, those guys are putting you in a position to move the chains on second and third down. They're picking up seven, eight yards on first down. So if you're a fantasy football player looking for a running back, pick up Jamichael Hasty. I'm doing it. I'm putting my waiver claim on Jamichael Hasty because I feel like he's going to be this team's running back, the featured running back over the next couple weeks. I'm not as high as Jeff Wilson Jr. on others. I feel like he's most efficient as a pass catching threat and near the goal line. But on your side of the field, when the 49ers have the ball from their 49 to their one yard line, he's not that effective. He does not pick up a lot of yards when it's not a goal line situation. Of course, you don't even pick up a lot of yards in goal line situations because you're right there, but he does not pick up chunk yardage like that. So I do believe Jamichael Hasty will be this team's featured back. He's their best bet. And we have a comment here that says, go get Brita. And this is something that I tweeted out last night. If you can get Matt Brita right now for a seventh round draft pick, I would do it. He had, he's familiar with the system. You don't have to coach him up. Matt Brita's ready to play this Sunday against the Patriots. He's being completely underutilized. You, he didn't sign a contract extension with the Dolphins. You have to pay him what? $1.6 million or something like that halfway through the year. He is the one player, the one player that can replicate Raheem Mostert's speed and big playability. I would not be opposed to trading a seventh round draft pick. I'm not saying to trade any sort of crazy draft capital, but a seventh round draft pick for Matt Breida, I would do it. I would do it. So last week, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't trade for Matt Breida. First of all, he wouldn't be able to play um, against the Patriots due to the new COVID protocol where they have to sit out um, six days for COVID testing. So if he gets in, if you trade for him, he gets in, what, today or tomorrow, Tuesday, possibly Wednesday. Um, so he wouldn't make the game. So he would be – that's one Wait, week. Wait, let, let me stop you right there. So he's been getting tested regularly with the Dolphins. I don't know what the protocol is in regards to that, but you'd figure that it would be the same as just going to the Dolphins to get tested. Am I wrong? No, they, they they changed it. What they did is because of the high um, COVID cases of the past few weeks, they changed it where if you trade for a player, or you create, you um, claim a player, they have to sit uh, six days and take six positive uh, negative tests at your facility. So, for example, um, Parnell Motley, who the 49ers claimed off the waivers from the Buccaneers, he was on their active roster and he was being tested every day. But he wasn't able to play for the 49ers or shoot up for the 49ers this week and he's not a, he was not available to enter their facility until today monday because of the covid new covid protocols i saw a report that motley was there on thursday i could be wrong i could be wrong but i'm not 100% certain on the whole covid protocols i'm trying to think off the top of my head if the 49ers called someone in like take brian allen for example i guess he spent the previous week on the practice squad before he was called up. So I'm not sure of all the rules regarding COVID and if 
a player. That's a good example, though, example though, with Moli. So maybe if the team, let's get back to the point talking about Brita. You would not trade for Brita. No, I, I wouldn't because um, last week, Jeff Wilson Jr., it was a small sample size, but he averaged 6.8 yards on his on his carries against the Dolphins. Um, he had four, I believe, four attempts, and he had 27 yards. And um, garbage time. It Garbage time. But I, I, he's shown me, even in, in the earlier season, that he's capable of, of being a decent back, being capable of picking up three, four yards. He runs hard. He runs physical. So he's going to get you three to four yards if he runs the ball. So... I'm going to roll with Jermichael Hasty. have Jarek McKinnon um, take some snaps. But I also want to see Jeff Wilson thrown in there a little bit because what it does is it's going to keep Jarek McKinnon and Jermichael Hasty fresh. And Jermichael Hasty's never gotten a workload in the NFL. He's never gotten hit in the NFL as much as Raheem Mostert and stuff. So his body might – it might take a toll on his body early. And we might see him lose a little bit of juice later in the season. So I want them to platoon everyone because what it's going to do is going to keep us fresh and. That's how we're going to win games by running the ball all game and not allowing Jermichael Hasty to get tired at any point. Yeah, I feel like the 49ers and their running back by committee approach already enables Jermichael Hasty to stay fresh. The only thing that I would argue is that Jeff Wilson Jr. does not have, he may be better than Matt Breida in certain areas. Breida was never a serious threat to catch the ball out of the backfield. Despite not getting a lot of opportunities to do that, Jeff Wilson Jr. feels it feels like he capitalizes on every single opportunity he has to be a receiving threat. Just the one area to me that's crystal clear that there is a substantial difference is the speed. Matt Breida hits that hole and goes. We've seen him have so many long touchdowns, whereas we have not seen that from Jeff Wilson Jr. He's been a goal line back, and with Raheem Mostert potentially heading to IR, I would like the 49ers to add that element of speed because there's the, the strong possibility this ground game could struggle like we've seen before without Mostert. Let's jump in to some other injuries. So Ben Garland, the starting center, he may also end up on IR with a calf injury. And then you have Jaquaski Tart, who injured his groin, and Marcel Harris stepped in for him. And Trent Williams, he was evaluated for a head injury last night, then all of a sudden hurt his ankle, and he's being further evaluated. So you have four starters, Garland and Mostert, who will most likely end up on IR and miss a minimum of three weeks. And then you have Jaquaski Tart and Trent Williams, who it's uncertain whether or not how serious their injuries are. But let's go ahead. We just spent time talking about replacing Mostert. What should the plan be for Ben Garland? Is it going to be Grasu coming in? Yeah, so it's going to be Grasu coming in. I mean, he's had the most reps at center since and he's, um, he's looked Daniel Brown. Yeah, he's looked good. I mean, he's capable of, of being a spot guy. Um, but I do think they're going to activate Dakota uh, Shelfley. Um, he's from the Canadian Football League. He was drafted in the first round. I believe he was, like, drafted fourth overall in the first um, in the Canadian Football League. So oh, I was about to say, I was like, this guy was not a – Fourth overall draft pick oh, in no, the NFL. No, no. I mean, <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely not. But uh, so he's he's probably going to be given reps at of center in practice. Um, but there's also the possibility of them going, "Hey, Daniel Brunskill, I know you just had a great week, but we really like you better than Grasu at center." Which I wouldn't do, no. but who knows? Yeah. Um. So let's let's keep it this way. What would you do? Keep it as is with Grasu. 
Yeah, I would keep it added to the Grassi because the, the offensive line played um, really well last week. So now you're only replacing Grassi, so it makes it a little bit easier than moving Brunskill and everyone else. Yeah. No, I agree with the continuity. Let's jump in. This is your time to shine. So if Trent Williams cannot go, we'll most likely see Justin School at left tackle. And I don't know if there's a bigger Justin School hype man than yourself. So let's say Justin School is the starting left tackle next week because Trent Williams can't go. What should fans expect from Justin School? And we saw a glimpse of him last year when Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey were out. But what's your take on Justin School? Relax, everyone. Relax. Take it easy. <laughs> so when 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 Trent Williams came, uh, went down, um, one of my uncles was like, "Oh man, he's our best tackle, like best player." I was like, hey, "Take it easy, man. We have Justin School coming in. Don't even don't even worry." And he was like, "Who's that?" His first two pass pro sets, they came in. I was thinking, okay, they're gonna run the ball because I don't know how serious Trent Williams' injury is. Run the ball, let him get comfortable real quick. Knock. Kyle Shanahan confidence in him. Drop back. Justin's cool, perfect pass pro set. Another one, perfect pass pro set. With the, and actually, the second one was when Aaron Donald was lined up on him, and they did a switch with Aaron Donald and the other in the defensive tackle on him and Lincoln Tomlinson. So I think Justin School is going to be more than capable of stepping in and being very solid. Um, but I've seen from last year, he's very capable of doing so. He was he didn't have the strength of, of last year. Um, I talked to his strength and conditioning coach, who was also George Kittle's coach. He's packed on a lot of strength. Um, they worked on his stance, so he's more comfortable. Justin School's ready. This is his time. He's ready to show that he's capable of playing tackle if he needs to. But I don't think Trent Williams will be out. Well, let's say that Trent Williams is out. What I think this is a good opportunity for, this is something that we've talked about in previous pods, that it's a trial run to see if Justin School can be your left tackle of the future. Trent Williams is a unrestricted free agent. He can probably get... $15 million, $16 million, somewhere in that ballpark being paid as one of the premier left tackles in the NFL. That's a lot of money. The 49ers are already strapped up against the cap. Last time I checked, they had 171.5, somewhere in that ballpark, million dollars, million dollars allocated to next year's cap. The cap could be as low as $175 million. So you're up there against the cap already. So you may have to get creative in ways to save money. You never want to fool around with the left tackle position. It's a premium position in the NFL. You need to have a solid left tackle and solid left tackle play to be a competitor. And if Justin School can prove that, maybe you don't give Trent Williams that big contract. So this is a great opportunity for Justin School to get some run, get some playing time, and build off that solid rookie season he had last year. Let's talk about Jaquaski Tart. If he can't go, he has a groin injury. And it's concerning to me because Jamal Adams up in Seattle has been dealing with a groin injury since week two, week three. He still has not returned. The team is fresh off their bye week, getting ready for their game against the Cardinals, who they play this Sunday. And Jamal Adams may not play again because of his groin. Groin injuries can linger. So what should the plan be at safety if Jaquaski Tart can't go? So I, I do like Marcel Harris. Um, I think he's capable. But put your best players on the field. Tarverius Moore should be playing safety over Marcel Harris. He's a better player than Marcel Harris. You drafted a dude. Nick Nick will say it. You drafted a dude in the third round. Why is he not on the field? The third, yeah, I know. So it's terrible. use him. This is, a, this is a time to play him and see if he's capable of playing 
that safety position and eventually moving on from Tar uh, Tart in the in the offseason. So this is a perfect example, like you said, with Justin School. What do you have in Tarverius Moore? Looking at the safeties as a whole, it may end up being that the 49ers paid the wrong safety in Jimmy Ward because Jaquaski Tart has been playing significantly better. But now that Tart's out, what I would do is I wouldn't mind seeing a safety by committee approach as far as subbing in more in Harris and maybe splitting the snaps 50-50 or somewhere in that ballpark. I just want to see Tarverius more get more reps. So I wouldn't mind seeing the approach. This is personally what I would do is you can have Jimmy Ward play free safety, play in the box. That's something he's used to doing. So you're not asking much of Jimmy Ward by playing both safety positions and kind of alternating. Then when you have Jimmy Ward playing the single high spot, you have Marcel Harris in the box. And when Jimmy Ward comes in the box, you have Tavarius Moore playing single high. And at some point you have to take a true look at Tarverius Moore and assess what you have in him. You invest the third round pick in him in 2008, 18. He hasn't been in the league for 14 years, whatever it would be. 2018, you drafted him in the third round. There's been no clear plan in place. And it's been a common theme with defensive backs on the 49ers that they have a hard time developing unless you're Emmanuel Mosley, who was an undrafted free agent. Safeties, cornerbacks that have been drafted in the late rounds haven't really developed in the 49ers system. Yes, Marcel Harris has been a solid backup safety and makes plays on special teams. Hell, even Adrian Colbert was the same way. But at some point, when you get your hands on a young cornerback or a defensive back in general, like Akello Witherspoon and Tarverius Moore, Richard Robinson, going back to 2016, who the 49ers traded in 2017 for a fourth-round pick after or a fifth-round pick after a promising rookie year, you have to develop and mold these young guys. And the future of Akella Witherspoon does not look good. Rashard Robinson has had problems off the field. He's on the Cowboys practice squad right now. And then Tarverius Moore, you see the potential when you watch him. He had big plays in the Super Bowl. The biggest stage of them all was making plays for you in the Super Bowl. And you're just not playing him at all on defense. And you're not prioritizing getting him on the field. So it's been frustrating to watch. Because when you invest that sort of draft capital in a player, you don't want them to be limited to being a gunner on special teams and to be third, fourth string safety. Hey, Tarverius Moore did pin the, the Rams at the one yard line, I believe. Yeah. Hey, that was oh, a nice play. That, that hey, was nice. It was, well, of course. I mean, I'm not knocking him for only being a gunner on special teams, but I'm saying the 49ers have to give him more of an opportunity. But that was a great special teams play, though. Did you? He was like this close from touching the plane of the end zone, which would have resulted in a touchback. For those that are listening to the pod, I have my fingers held up here, but it was like three centimeters. Like it was the smallest bit of green in between the back of Tarverius Moore and the end zone. And that play pinned the Rams so deep. That was a great yeah, play. Great play. He needs to see the field. That's, that's the bottom line. Put him on the field. He He's produced when he's on the field. We're getting close to the 51-minute mark. We just hit the 51-minute mark. Let's answer our question with a quick explanation. Marco, are the 49ers back for now? or back for real? I think they're back for real. 
You know, their defense isn't isn't what it used to be, but they've been playing good all season. Um, Kyle Sarton used his weapons. He used Debo, Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, utilized Kendrick Bourne, um, utilized his whole backfield. You guys, we got to realize Kyle. Kyle's upset. People took shots at Kyle, saying he's he should be fired. He's no longer the the genius offensive coordinator. Kyle's upset. Kyle's gonna get disrespectful right now, man. And that's what we need. We need Kyle to do what he did this week every week in order to keep going. And I think he's capable of doing that easily. If it wasn't for Raheem Mostert's injury, I would be with you in saying that they're back for real, but I'm going to pump the brakes. I want to see a couple more games, maybe just even this one against the Patriots before I can declare them back for now or back for real. So I'm going to say that they are back for now. They're on a high. They had a very convincing win against the Rams, but I need to see more. I need to see what you're going to do against a Bill Belichick defense a Patriots team that's coming off two losses. When's the last time Bill Belichick lost three consecutive games? Who knows? Maybe that one year that Tom Brady tore his ACL and they had Matt Castle as their quarterback. Maybe that was the last time. So the 49ers could be back for real if they continue to stick with the ground game and the short passes, letting the Yak Bros go to work at the ball to Jimmy Garoppolo's hands quickly. Jimmy short throw Garoppolo. That's what I'm going to start calling him, and that's fine. Get the ball out of his hands quickly. Let him be decisive with his decision-making. Let your playmakers go to work. And when he does eventually need to drop back, we will get that from him. We've seen it before. So the 49ers are on the verge of being back for real, but I'm going to hold off just one last week until I see what the ground game can accomplish without Raheem Mostert. That's where I stand. It's legit. That's a legit reason to to say that because he's he is the focal point of this offense. All right, and we're gonna close out by talking about our upcoming pod this Thursday. We have two of the most entertaining Bay Area media personalities joining us next Thursday or this upcoming Thursday, excuse me. We will be joined by Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky of ninety five point seven the game and Grant Cohn, our boss at All 49ers Sports Illustrated. We will have them both on at the same time. It'll be must-see TV, if you will, with those two guys, unfiltered, uncut, just raw talk in regards to the 49ers. This concludes our episode of the Faithful Fanatic Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in.